students. We're going to have the second part of the lecture on Cantos 6 through 12 today, the, the proud and the penitence and the art of pride. So quick review. Remember, we talked about Sordello last time. He was a countryman of Virgil's. He lives in Mantua and is from the same or was from Mantua in the same way that Virgil was. Remember also that he has great respect for Virgil, showing that though he has a low opinion of his fellow countrymen in mass, he has a high opinion of who he considers one of the most ideal of his countrymen. And, well, perhaps that's true of you too. Maybe you think, living in Escondido, that it is not the best place in the world, and yet, probably your best friend and the people you care most about, who you love, are here. And so that's an interesting way to look at your own opinions. Do you truly look down on the place you are from, or do you love it? And I think that's a real question to ask, and a real question you should ask about Dante, because Obviously, he is exiled by the Florentines, and yet, if you go to Florence, it is full of statues of him. They take great pride in him. So perhaps you start to understand that human relationships are very complicated, and you can love and hate something at different levels of analysis. Um, in fact, you'll, you'll probably find that. I am sure that you know that that is true if you have a younger sibling. I, can, I am certainly sure that you are true of you think that's true, and if you don't, well, that, that's good too. Okay, remember also prayer. Prayer helps you shoot up the mountain of purgatory. We talked about what that meant. We, it suggests that the love of another human for you is direct evidence of the justice of the divine. Cool. We also talked about day and night a little bit. We saw a drama with an angel and two serpents. Remember the two angels indicate the will and the intellect and how they work together to keep doubt or error out of the purgatorio and so the idea behind the purgatorio is that you are working to purge by fire that which is sinful or error ridden inside yourself so that you can get to your goal faster and the reason why you want to do this well there are two reasons a during your day in the purgatorio you suffer you're bent over by a rock you are on fire if you're amongst the lustful. You are starving if you are amongst the gluttonous and also very thirsty. It's very painful to be in purgatory. The second thing is, like I told you, it's like when you were eight, being having the day before Christmas or Christmas Eve, the feeling you had of, I want, I want, I want, I just wish it would be the next day. Well, that is the feeling that these souls have at all time because getting to paradise is like getting to super Christmas. And so... A, they don't want to be suffering anymore because pain is terrible and we all wish to avoid it at all times. And B, they want to get somewhere that's a lot better than where they are. So they are very, very, what is the word I'm thinking of when you really, really want to move from one place to another? You're really what? Impatient? No. Yes. Motivated. They are highly motivated individuals. Yes. And that will actually be something we talk about today, motivation, when we look at the art amongst the proud. Because apparently, the best motivation you can have is not a positive motivation. The best motivation you can have is not a negative motivation. But both of them working in concert together. You need to be running away from something that scares you while running towards something that you want. And we'll talk about that quite a bit. We also had a dream last time about the eagle and Ganymede. Basically, Ganymede, we know, was a Trojan prince who was very beautiful, who was taken up to the gods in order to fill their cups. Dante is in some way like Ganymede, except for differing from Ganymede. He will not stay in heaven amongst the gods. He will go up there, he will fill his cup, he will come back to earth, and he will pour it out for whom? For 
all of us. That's right. All right, good, 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 good. Okay, so this is where we ended last time, so let me just quickly recap it. The three steps of penance. We get to the angel at the very first gate, to the first cornice of Purgatorio. We spent nine cantos trying to get here. It's very like the beginning to Harry Potter's. Perhaps if you've read the Harry Potters before, you remember that you don't start at Hogwarts in the Land of Magic, not in any of the books. And in fact, in the fourth book, which I'm about to start podcasting on, it takes 171 pages before you get to Hogwarts. And so it's very similar in Dante. You don't get to the magical place until after the beginning. And so here it is. Reader, lines 70 to 73, maybe 72. You see how my subject becomes more elevated. Do not wonder if it is therefore presented with more art. Okay, so he is making the claim that he is going to be more poetic, more sophisticated as an artist as he presents the Purgatorio, because the Purgatorio is a more sophisticated concept than hell, which is a very interesting claim, and I'd very much like to talk about that on during seminar day on Tuesday. Is the Purgatorio, or is the notion of working from somewhere that you don't want to be towards somewhere that you do want to be more sophisticated than just uh, m uh, mucking about in the mire for all time without ever making progress. And I suppose making progress on the goal is much harder than doing nothing, as I think all of us know, which is perhaps why we don't always like to work towards goals, because it is very difficult. And I suppose you do experience negative emotion when you run into obstacles on the way towards goals. and. Perhaps then you think that the negative emotion is the fault of the goal rather than your inability to achieve it. Huh, very interesting. So three steps of penance makes perfect step sense. The first is white, marble. So clear and shiny that it shows your reflection. Well, that's an obvious symbol. It means recognition of error. The moment you recognize your error, do you look perfect to yourself anymore? No, your image of yourself has to change, dark purple and cracked. You become disunified because your idea of yourself and yourself are no longer the what? The same. They're no longer the same and you see that. Well, if you see that your idea of yourself and yourself are different, what could you do? If you didn't like the person you saw yourself to be, okay, you could alter yourself to be more like your idea of yourself rather than lying to yourself assuming that you are already your own ideal right if you want to be strong and you're not strong by your own definition and then you 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 try and bench press and you think if i can bench press 300 pounds i'm strong you try and bench press you're at 120 pounds a you could be delusional and you could decide well actually 120 pounds is strong Maybe it is for you. I don't know. 300 was strong for me when I hit it. Uh, the second, <laughs> but the second option might be, well, 300 is strong. I want to be strong. I'm at 120. What could I do to get there? And what you could do to get there is essentially up to you, but you could train. You could work. You could go through the purgatorial process. And so part of the idea of purgatory seems to be if you recognize your own deficiencies and where you are, you can actually get the things you want. You're not cursed to forever be in a state of deprivation and uh, desire, but you can actually act on that desire. And I think that that is a perfectly excellent lesson to be teaching the students. All right, good. The third step, well, this is it, right? Red is blood, sacrifice. If you actually want to bring yourself up to your idea of what you should be, 
you got to sacrifice time, energy, effort, skill. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. I mean, it's represented by something that is blood red. Giving your blood for something, there's very uh, little harder to do than that. But then I suppose if you really think about it, the harder you work on something, the more meaningful that thing is to you. And so here's a question for you for seminar. The more effort, energy, and focus you put into an endeavor, the harder it is that you are working on it, does that make what you're doing more <coughs> meaningful or valuable to you? And if you say yes, where does meaning in this world come from? The answer would be from you, right? And that makes perfect sense to me. If you think about a relationship, when you really care about somebody, you give them a lot of what? What do you spend with them? Time. That's right. You give them time. You give them focus. You give them attention. When you really care about your performance, say if you want to be a teacher or a play, a player or a, a sportsman, what do you do? You practice, right? All the time. Huh. Huh. When you really care about your grades and your performance at school, you spend a lot of time on it, right? And then your friends who don't care will be like, why do you spend all that time on it? And you'll say, well, because I want a more meaningful existence than you. Is not what you say, but perhaps you think it, because that would be a bit of a rude thing to say. But I think it is an important thing to know that, because there will be people in the world who question the things you do. They say, why do you do this? And it might be hard for you to answer that, because you think, oh, well, I just like it, you know, or I just do this. It's like, well, think about it like this. Maybe you do the things you do. You spend the time that you spend because it makes your life feel more meaningful. Is there any be better way to spend your life than in a meaningful way? Because, apparently, the more meaningful your life is, and this is the point of purgatory, the more suffering you can endure. Which means, the more meaning you have in your life, the water you are against the terrible aspects of the world. Stronger. That's right. It makes you stronger. And, well, if I lived in a very dangerous world, Full of great whites that attack people in Encinitas and crocodiles that eat people in uh, Florida and pythons that eat people in Indonesia and, you know, a place with nuclear weapons and, of course, you know, firearms, then I might want to be strong in this world. I might want to be strong a lot because this world will certainly kill us all. Is that not true? And so might as well make it tough on it. All right, good. Moving on to seven piece. So now we're into new material. This angel... He gives us a prison tattoo, essentially, in the Purgatorio. He puts seven P's on our forehead for seven cornices that we will be walking through, uh, that we will be striving through. And so, so a few interesting facts about these P's. Here's the first one. Scholars have uh, identified two Latin words, and actually there's a third Latin word, but I always forget it, for what the P's could mean. The first P, or the first thing it could stand for, are peccati, which is the plural of peccatum, which means sin. And in fact, in our language, a small sin, and this is a good word to know, is a peccadillo. So you say something, if you have a weakness for chocolate or coffee at night, both of which Mr. Schmidt has a small weakness for, more for coffee than for chocolate, um, then I'd say it's my little peccadillo. Uh, I'd say it's a small sin. It's a small sin. I wouldn't actually have to say little. It's a redundancy. So peccati means sins. So the seven Ps represent the seven deadly sins. Or... They represent a word called peni, from which we get the word penalty, 
Uh, peni means either punishment or penalty. And, well, that makes sense, too. Because on the seven cornices, you receive the penalty for developing the sin, which is the responsibility for going through the difficult work of expurgating or expiating that sin. And so, really, you might ask the question, you might say, Mr. Schmid, what if I identify the P as both? What if the punishment for the sin is the sin itself and the fact that it becomes an impediment to you in accomplishing your goals? I would say, brilliant, student. Because that does seem to be the idea in purgatory, that the sin itself is what keeps you from a better life. What is the punishment then? It is the sin. That's right, the error. The thing that keeps you from what you want is a self-punishing sort of endeavor. And it's like, wow, hmm, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. And well, this again, I have two final facts about the piece. Here is a very interesting one. Dante will lose a P every time he goes up one cornice. But every time he loses one, all the others will fade. I'm going to say that one more time. And I know it's very early, but perhaps you will have a thought about this. Why might it be the case that when one P, one sin, is expiated, the P's for the others, the symbols for the others, fade a little bit. Yes? Um, when breaking a, when breaking a habit, or, or when breaking a bad habit, bad habit um, as, soon as, you begin, as soon as you begin to make ground, it loses. Okay, let's develop that. When breaking a bad habit, as you start to break ground, it gets easier. I want to say that in a more developed way, yes? It gets easier and it gives you hope that you can accomplish Okay, as you start to work towards a goal and you get closer to the goal, you have an increase in hope because when you get closer to the goal, you, and I guess that is the feeling of hope, right? It becomes more likely that you will get what you want and so you become more hopeful. Great, that's good too. I want a little more. I want just a little more on this, yes? Do you see that? That's excellent. Yes, and in fact, that will be what is said about pride, that it is the foundation of all sin, that once one becomes proud, it becomes very much easier to be envious, slothful, angry, greedy. Well, the reverse is true as well. Like was said from the front row here, the moment you start to expiate one sin or error, you start to get better at expiating sin, of correcting error, of correcting bad habits. So even if you just start working on one, you have become better at the process of getting rid of bad habits, which makes it easier to get rid of the others. And so that's why the start is so important for something. Just starting to get rid of a bad habit, one bad habit might start a process by which, well, you really clean up your life. And in fact, there was a, a few years back, all the teachers we're put in the auditorium and we listen to a Navy SEAL give sort of a motivational speech. And part of his motivational speech, you can see this on YouTube, um, was he says every day he wakes up, he makes his bed. And I thought that was so dumb at first. I was like, who cares about making your bed? But then, as you know, I wear suits and ties every day, even though I'm not required to. And then you might say, why? Well, it's the most sophisticated way that a man can dress in our culture. It requires the most amount of effort. I shave every day, I do my hair, 
I sometimes put some gel in it. I have a pocket kerchief. The only thing I'm missing is a, a mark on my tie and some nice cufflinks, but I do own some. It's just, that's a little more. Well, why would you dress in a sophisticated way? Why would you dress up your bed in the morning? It starts the habit for the day of putting things in order. If you think about my profession, teacher, do I help to put people in order all day long? Yes, and if I can do that for myself, well, what can you do through imitation, regardless of even the words that I say? You can start to do what for yourselves? Put your own what's in order. Lives in order, that's right, that's right. All right, all right, all right, good, good. Let's move on to pride. We see this image here. The image is a good one. The image is one of, there's a Gustave Dore image of pride, so anybody listening can look it up online. Um, we see Dante and Virgil looking at a guy who is bent over, not backwards, but forwards, bent over with a rock on his back. And so the idea seems to be that the rock that people stood on in their life to look down on others has now been taken out from under them and placed on their back to literally humble them. And this is where a little bit of knowledge of Latin would help. The word humility comes from the Latin word humus, which means earth. So to be humbled means to come closer to the what? Earth. And so are these people literally humbled by being bent over by the earth they once stood on? Yes. Yes. And, and so it's also humbling in that if one is humble, one looks down one's nose at people. One arches one's eyebrows superciliously. That is a very good word for arrogance. But now one has to look what to people. If one is bent over, and I'm not bent over, you have to look what to me? Look up to me. That's right. That's quite right. Quite right. Good, good, good. There's a lot to these images. And there's even more than we've said, but we got to keep moving. Okay, so here's the punishment itself. Just laying it out. The proud must carry a rock on their back, which literally humbles them by bending them over so that they are close to the earth, so that they must look up to people rather than looking down to people. And so this is a corrective punishment. The point of the punishment is not to make them suffer. They simply suffer because of the correcting aspect of the punishment, sort of like when you drink um, some medicine. Medicine usually tastes very good. No, it tastes awful. But does do we drink it because it tastes good or because it has a positive effect on our body? Well, that's the same thing with the purgatory. It's like it is like a purgative, actually. Uh, that is a style. <laughs> that is a style of medicine that makes you purge yourself. So either from the top or the bottom. And so yes, I know nasty, but that's a big part of. You know, you got to get the bad things out. You got to get the bad things out. All right, good. And so here's the definition. And I think this is not how most people think of pride at first look, but I think you will agree with it, and you can tell me. Oh, proud Christians, wretched and exhausted. These are lines uh, 121 to 123 in Canto 10. Who sick in mind and not seeing aright go confidently in the wrong direction. I want you to think about that. I'll read it one more time. Oh, proud Christians, wretched and exhausted, who sick in mind and not seeing a right, go confidently in the wrong direction. That is a nasty, nasty definition of pride. Very nasty. Why? Well, the first thing about it is, the claim is, is that pride is a sickness of your mind. 
Well, what is it by which you perceive reality? With your what? Your mind, your mind right? And so if your mind is sick and you can't see right, and you as a human are always pursuing some goal, but in order to pursue a goal, which is also mentally represented, you need to be able to see straight. Will you ever get to your goal if you are proud? No, because you can't see the steps necessary to get there. You don't see the world right. It's like, if you don't see the world right, can you act right in the world? No, what can you do right? I mean, I think that's a serious question. Because we do like to say things like pride cometh before the fall or, or, or mm, watch out for lightning bolts saying those sorts of proud things, right? We say that sort of thing, right? We're like, mm, you shouldn't be arrogant. You're overconfident. Things are going to go badly for you. Uh, I at least heard that a lot growing up in my life. And it's certainly true that insofar as I was proud, I would experience small falls and large ones too. As we all know, I did get excused from college for a solid semester because of poor behavior. <laughs> All right, good. And so, here's another problem. If you can't perceive the world correctly, then you can't perceive yourself correctly. Because you neither know where you've been or where you're going, and only by knowing where you've been and where you're going do you know where and who you are. And so, if you're proud, not only do you not understand the world or see it correctly, you don't understand yourself. Huh. So, one essentially has an inflated, read, incorrect idea of the world and one's own place in it. Well, the whole point of purgatory is to make you a more effective human. Is not understanding yourself or the world in which you live going to help you get to your goals? And that is why pride is called the foundation of all sin. Because if you're proud, you can't even see right, how can you do right things? And that is also why the foundation or the rock on which you stood is now on your back because though you thought it raised you above others it's actually crushed you beneath its own weight and so you might make a correlate between actually what is a mythological correlate to this a character who is bent under the weight of something a very proud sort of character he's a titan you see him in statues with the world on his back all the time, though technically it is the sky on his back. You know your mythology very well, yes? Atlas. Atlas. Very good, very good. There's also a Christian corollary, uh, St. Christopher, who was supposedly a monk who refused to pray or to fast, who, uh, who was very strong and would take people across a river forward. And supposedly once there was a figure of Christ, the baby, who he took across and got heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier until he got him to the other side of the river. And then he's like, man, you're pretty... You weighed quite a bit for a little toddler. And then the toddler said, but I am the Christian God, and you have had the weight of the entire world on your back. And it's like, whoa. And I think that's supposed to be a metaphor for every human existence. Because if you're conscious, then you will certainly suffer. And, well, you're going to have to endure that with some meaningful task as a human. I think that's literally true of everybody. All right, good. Uses of art. Okay, this is what we're going to finish with today. And I'm going to go fairly quickly through them. We have two sorts of art that we will encounter in each cornice. The uh, so-called whips and the bridles. And we'll talk about that. Well, the first thing we're going to see, bent over with a rock on our back so that we have to look up to it, so that it raises our perspective, is going to be examples of the virtue which expiates the vice of pride. And so the opposite of pride is obviously 
we I've said it a few times. Can anybody remember? What is that thing that makes you more earthly or low? Humility. humility. And so we get three examples of humility. It's almost like when you're given a paper topic and your teacher then gives you an example of great paper. They give you that example, that model, so that you know what to strive towards. Well, that makes perfect sense because that's exactly what's happening here. You're given a model towards which to strive. And so there's one idea for why art is in the purgatory. Art represents behaviors and actions that you wish to strive towards in order to improve your existence or to be a quote-unquote good human. And well, let's think about it. We have three different examples from three different traditions. The first is a Christian example. The second is a Hebrew example. The third is a Greco-Roman pagan example. And yet they all emphasize the same virtue, suggesting that this virtue is particular to one culture or universal throughout time and space. Universal, that's right. And so the first is a Mary, Mary in the Annunciation. That is a gnarly scene, and I have a lot that I could say about it, but I'll just say a little. That is a scene in which Mary is told, as a virginal wife to Joseph, that she is going to bear the child of a god, no choice in the matter. It's actually very similar to something you see in uh, the Greco-Roman religions often. A god giving a child to a woman who does not have a choice in the matter. You might understand in a sort of evolutionary way that that has been one of the most common experiences of women throughout all time. We even know that from reading about the sacking of Troy. We know that about reading from the sacking of the cities before. In fact, the whole issue that happened in the Iliad was as a result of a what being taken away from a man? A woman, a concubine, whom he had taken from a city in which he had killed her father, mother, and brothers. Or rather, Andromache had her father, mother, and brothers killed. Uh, but uh, Briseis certainly had her father killed. And so it's like, wow, yes. And so the idea here is that her life is getting thrown out of control. She has a husband named Joseph. She probably wants to have little Joseph babies and live a normal life, like most people. And yet, bang, all of a sudden, angel in front of her. Not going to happen. Now you're going to have a God baby. Your life's going to be very weird. That would be a very frightening experience. Um, and so she has to be humble enough to say, instead of saying, why me, to say, okay, me. I accept this, even though it's different. And, well, you know, if you ever read the book of Matthew, like, Joseph did not much care for this. He did not accept that reasoning at first. He wanted to divorce, and you do know what the punishment was for a cheating woman at that time? Yes, it was stoning. So this is a bad situation for her to have found herself in. And, you know, so we, we read the old text, we're like, oh, well, you know, people must have been really happy for it. It's like, no, no, no. That is not what people think. They do not assume that you have a God baby inside of you. They assume that you're a cheater. And that's not a good place to be. And so, well, there you go. And so, the second example, King David. King David was a Hebrew king. This is a really weird example. As a king, do you generally like to embarrass yourself? No. As a human, do you like to embarrass yourself? No. Being embarrassed is probably one of the worst feelings you can possibly have, especially publicly, right? I mean, even in front of one person, if they correct you when you're wrong, you get a little embarrassed and don't like them for a few minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, this king was once commanded by the divine. I think a prophet told him what to do. Uh, he stripped down naked, the emperor has new clothes, and danced in front of a fire in front of his entire people, in front of his whole camp. I want you to think about that. 
a king, stripping down naked, none of his regal vestments, none of his crown, and stripping down naked and dancing in front of people. How many of you would even dance in front of people with fully clothed? How many of you, the worst nightmare you can imagine is like coming to school and this is like the worst nightmare, right? And you're not wearing clothing, right? Would that be a nightmare? And yet, this guy was willing to do it, even though he had the ultimate rank that a human could have. Is the idea that any human can go through any humiliation in order to remove pride from oneself. And in fact, that the higher rank you are, or the more you have, the more you need to be humiliated to understand your basic humanity. And so it's like, wow, yeah, I wonder. And I suppose the other question you might ask too is this, are you ever free from the threat of humiliation as a human, regardless of what your rank is? The answer seems to be no, especially with Twitter these days. And okay, Emperor Trajan, he is our Greco-Roman example. This is a very weird piece of art here, and it seems like a piece of moving art. He's on a horse, and a widow who's just lost her son in a campaign comes to him, and she says, Emperor Trajan, I need you to avenge my son. And Emperor Trajan says, I'm actually about to go on campaign. I have an entire army behind me. I can't spend time avenging your son's life. And she says, Emperor Trajan, but you agreed to. And he says, well... I have a lot to do right now. If I'm going, I'm going to go on campaign, and then, then I will deal with this. And she says, Emperor Trajan, what if you die? And he says, well, if I die, my replacement will deal with this issue. And she says, but Emperor Trajan, who agreed to do this? And so he says himself. And so he is humbled to do the will of a widow for the sake of her son, even though he has an entire army and eternal glory to pursue. And so he gives up all of that for a moment to help out this woman, even though he is of the highest rank a person can be, which is king, the highest rank we've ever discovered. And so these are the examples, then, of the sorts of situations people can be put in where they act in the right way, though it is an extraordinary thing to ask of someone. To bear a god seems like a pretty big deal. To dance naked in front of a fire in front of your entire people? Pretty crazy thing to ask. And then to stop your entire campaign in order to avenge one commoner widow's son? And yet, each one of these people made what seems to be the right choice. And that's the choice that's put in front of those in the Purgatorio. Alright, tomorrow, or rather, uh, the next day we'll talk about the examples of the vice. And of course, the first one will be Lucifer. All right.